You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is designed for rural leaders and by rural leaders. It is our goal every single week to bring you content and voices who are not just doing their best to speak to the rural context, but are speaking in a way that they get it right. These are people who have lived, served, been around, grew up in the rural church, and we are excited every week to dive into um, conversations that we really, truly hope are just reaching right where you're at. You know, we've we've definitely all been in situations where someone tries to speak into a church and and you still feel lost. You still sit there and go, man, I'm I'm a Sunday school teacher, I'm a volunteer, I'm a pastor, I'm bivocational, I'm sitting in these small towns doing a work of God, and yet looking again for those kind of uh, kindred spirits, those voices that can really highlight where we're at and help us see where we need to go and do it all. Um, you know, in, in in light of these principles that God lays out. And so we've kind of you know we've kind of been in this series. Uh, on church planting, actually, it's definitely a fun topic to cover for the new year. And to that end, you know, uh, last week, I don't know if you tuned in, but we had Will Hampton on here, and he is uh, planting churches in upstate New York and just has an awesome heart for the rural church. Um, and this week, we get to talk to Pastor Randy Jumper, and he is in Arkansas, and he has been uh, working with that network of churches through the Assemblies of God um, over a, a ministry career to just kind of, you know, he's jumped in and out of these different roles that have been. Um, adjacent to, connected to the rural church. And I'm going to let him tell a lot of his story, but but I'm excited to welcome him to the show. So I just want to say, uh, Randy, how you doing, man? I'm good, Joe. Thanks for the opportunity to come in and sit with you and the people listening here. It's always great to be talking about kingdom business and kingdom stuff. Absolutely. And and I love your heart with that. Like I said, I, I just get excited. You know, every single one of these topics, I know that I learned something and I know that there's just there's just so much good to be said about the rural church. There's so much happening yeah, uh, in these places and it's it's exciting. So uh, the first question I want to ask you, it's a question we ask everybody um, because everyone knows deep down whether we acknowledge it or not. Rurals is a place of uh, credentials. It's a place of hearing how you're connected to and where you come from and, and all those things. And so I'd love for you to maybe spend a few minutes and describe your connection to the rural church in your life and in your ministry. Yeah, thanks. I, I would, you know, I'm as you said, I'm from Arkansas. Uh, we just got shoes in 1987 here. So pretty much the entire state of Arkansas constitutes uh, a rural context. I don't care how fancy it is. Yeah, even fair. our big cities are, are bathed in Walmart. So uh, yeah. that's that's the way it works here. Our 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 only sports team of, of value to us and no one else has a pig for its uh for its mascot. So uh, the state of Arkansas is rural, stem to stern. I'm third, fourth generation, some as a God Pentecostal. Uh, so I've got a lot of roots inside of this tribe. My grandfather was a rural church planter, uh, 13 some odd churches that he either revitalized or planted himself. So I grew up with that in my background. Uh, my dad uh, actually moved to the city, uh, the big city of Little Rock at the time. Um, because for business, we lasted about five years before it drove him nuts. And so then we moved back down the country. And so he became one of those people who we lived in a town of 1500 and he drove 40 minutes to work every day just because we wanted to live on some land, just kind of our background and connection. My first ministry roles were in uh, my first my, my first role as a pastor on staff was in Oak Grove, Arkansas, just south of Blue Eye, Missouri. 
at that point, there was 121 people on the population sign, and we celebrated the Sunday we had 134 in church. So wow. I don't know where we got those other people. I love that. That that was that's my context, my background. I did my first uh, doctoral work was in rural context. Wrote a whole lot, but that was a long time ago. But now work at uh, First Assembly here in North Little Rock, which is in a probably a larger community. Sure, sure. Uh, but we have a network of multiple churches, campuses across Arkansas, uh, upstate New York, and also Texas that. Every one of those is in a rural context, except for one inner city ministry. Those range from small town in New York to a small decreasing population town in Arkansas. So I kind of oversee those. Oversee is a strong word. I'm more of a coach. I even hate that word. I'm more of a guy who just comes along and helps them figure it out. We figure out revitalization and planting. And so that's kind of where my heart and connection rural network is. Um, we have a church planting initiative here in Arkansas for a while called the Delta Network. So that was focusing on underserved communities in the state, not just from a faith perspective, but just all the way around. You guys are listening. You know what I'm talking about. We have whole counties without, uh, with no viable food source, no supermarket, um, and trying to figure out how to do some church planting in those areas. So that's kind of my background working with those super excited right now. Uh, just got off the phone before this, uh, we have a church plant in Helena, West Helena. That is the most economically deprived location in our, in our district here in Arkansas, a town that was a boom town that Mark Twain wrote about, you know, oh, wow. centuries ago, and now is a constant decrease in population. Uh, yet we uh, we had 134 on Sunday uh, in our in our church plant revite there, 18 months old. So super excited about wow. it. So, yeah, wow. that's my connection to that. I love that. And honestly, like what a breadth of experience. And I think that's going to feed kind of right into our conversation today, because there's definitely, you know, most most pastors you can talk to, they can, they can give you the layout of of their land in a sense, they can give you the layout of their local church. They can give you the layout of even probably their, their region, their, maybe their state, you know, whatever these, these concentric circles are, but, but your work, your ministry, the opportunities God put in front of you has, has given you, I think a, a unique view that I I don't think should be undervalued. And so um, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is I kind of want to dive into this view because, because a lot of our pastors here, and, and I think myself, yourself, like we would acknowledge that like planting in a rural place, you know, the, the, rural challenge or rural towns could be spoken of as almost like a a challenging context, right? Like there's, there's definitely something to be said for the perceived difficulty, the actual difficulty of seeing some of these church plans, seeing revitalizations, seeing rural communities that in a lot of other metrics outside of church are dying. And yet we believe that God wants to do something amazing there. And so, so today we're actually going to start by kind of painting a picture of that challenge. I would love to just pick your brain on these different angles, these different perspectives you've seen it from. And so um, first though, you know, just from that, that church planning background, I want you to maybe highlight specifically with planning a church in a rural community, highlight one of the challenges that you've seen of planting a rural church, but also maybe, you know, to give us some of that positive, maybe one of the the cool things you've seen about that. Like, why, why is it hard to do? But also when it works, what's so cool about it? You know what I'm saying? Sure. I, I think if you're listening to this podcast, odds are you're a rural church planter or someone interested in it or in a rural setting. So the obvious things uh, I, don't, I don't think is worth anyone's time to talk through. I mean, bottom line, ministry is hard. 
Don't, sure, sure. We have we have to embrace that idea. We also have to reject the idea that our setting is any harder than anyone else's. Absolutely. There are, I mean, there are quantitative issues of hardness. If you're planting a church in Saudi Arabia, there's a difference in difficulty uh, than planting one in South Arkansas. Sure. At the same time, um, the same devil fights us in all places. It's not, he doesn't sort of like slack up and say, oh, you're in, in this area. So I'm going to have, I'm going to fight you less. I would challenge everybody listening. The biggest challenge in rural church planting is the three feet of space inside of your head. The idea that it can't be done, you've got to kill that inside of your spirit. And that somehow it's harder or it's less than, or I don't have the resources. If only we had a, a Sam's, if only we had a better school district, if only we had this. For your entire life in ministry, you will always have the, if only I had. And you got to kill that. That's the number one challenge. It might not have been the expect the, what you thought I would answer with this question, yeah, but if God but called it. you to a place, if God called you to a space, He called you there for a purpose. So if you're if you're in Nebraska and you're you're pastoring in a small town of forty seven people that is filled and surrounded by by cattle ranches and beef. Of course, you're not going to have the same resources and assets that someone has in Denver. If you are in Montana, you're 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 not going to have the same resources, but you're going to be there and you're going to be planted there, and God's going to call you to a spot or place, yeah, and He's going to equip you to do the things that are there. The key is to get out of your head that because of your space or context, you can't be effective. Mm. Um, I, I, some of this is leadership teaching, so I won't no, spend a whole I love lot of all time. This. this is well, and, and honestly, we're aiming right there for leaders, for pastors, for rural church people. You know, absolutely. Part of this is changing the scoreboard. So, uh, using just a, I mean, I'm I'm country, so football is king. If if I'm watching a football game and the score is uh, twenty one to three, then that's a blowout. And if I I'm on the team that only scored three points. And I feel like I wasn't effective because the scoreboard, I only got three points. However, sure. if I'm if I'm playing a hockey game match or I'm in soccer, which I know nothing about because I am from the South, sure. three three goals in soccer, three goals in hockey is a, a great big number. Win. It's a big yeah. number. And so um you got to make sure you are living and working and judging yourself by the right scoreboard. Mm. And so um we tell our, our campus pastors here all the time. We've got a, a rural campus that they're in a, a community of like 2000 people. Well, they had a, they had 89 on service and they're like, yeah, well this week had 89, but then the, you know, the Helena West Helena guy said, well, we had 130 something people, but the Helena West Cam Helena campus, they're a town of 10,000. So apples to apples, oranges to oranges, the guy in the smaller context, he's got a bigger market share. Yeah. Percentages so, are huge. It's just changing your the way you think about the way you think about your scoreboard. I think the other challenge is, uh, well, this across the board. I mean, think about it. If you're pastoring right now in a rural context and you're listening to a podcast, my grandfather, who we referenced a while ago, in 1948 when he was planting by himself in Pendle, Arkansas, or in Atlanta, Texas, he didn't have podcasts and internet. He didn't know how unsuccessful he was. <laughs> I love but, that. 
because <laughs> of everything, because he didn't have access to people who were quote unquote successful. Mm, I love he, that. He didn't know that he was failing sure. because he didn't know that six states away, Tommy Barnett was blowing up Sunday school. Sure. The metrics changed, but, but if you're listening right now, you, you, there's a good chance you're listening to a podcast. You've listened to fur tech and you've listened to et cetera, et cetera. You've seen this. You've, you've maybe you've watched me on, on online. Cause you heard was happy regardless. You can't, you can't judge yourself by those same kind of metrics. Um, you also can't do everything. And so you where my grandfather again, and in our rural settings, I'll get off of him just and say, so like I was meeting sure. with um, our, our campus pastor in Lono. And Jason Dorsey's just an amazing guy. He's brilliant. He loves the Lord. He loves lost people. And he wants to do everything. He wants to have vibrant men's ministry, vibrant women's ministry, vibrant student ministry, vibrant kids ministry. He wants to have a choir. He wants to have great Wednesday night prayer meetings because James Rivers got great prayer night meetings. And he wants to have whatever that stuff. And I said, hey, Jason, we could just, we, you got enough people. We can maybe do one thing. Let's just sure. do one thing well. And and so it's changing that mentality to understand that that one thing well in a community of 150 may be the best thing you should and could be doing. Mm. And so um, I, I, I think that sense, then that becomes ministry staffing is always harder, challenging. Staffing is challenging. Sure. I also think in the rural context, at least in mine, uh, sure. we live here, we're in the Bible Belt. So this may not be for everyone, but there is a, um, I call them um, a BB church everywhere. There's a Bubba Baptist church everywhere. Now it may not be Baptist. It just depends on the community. And so in some town, it might be a Bubba Methodist. It might be a Pentecostal church. It might be an Assemblies of God church. Even it, there's one church that's been there. That's got the big building. That's got the big thing. And they've just, they've had the stranglehold on the community. They may be ineffective. They may be whatever. They may have nobody in there, but you've that that's a challenge and learning how to, to differentiate yourself at the same time, be affirming. Mm -hmm. um, and so you say all that. So you see what's some positive, the, the other side of the thing, here's what's great about what I call uh, retail pastoring. Um, if you've ever studied politics um, or election campaigning, retail politics is a term that designed for how you win elections in certain places. I think the rural context more than any other is retail pastoring and retail pastoring is physically, literally go sitting down with people, everyone that you can and eating breakfast, lunch and dinner all over the place. It's it's small town. Football games, basketball games, it's working concession stands, it's showing up prayer breakfasts with that the mayor puts on, it's sitting in the audience um, at the city council meeting, it's attending uh, the uh, Future Farmers of America judging campaign, it's getting people together, it's retail pastoring, which is kind of out of vogue in most church planting circles right sure, now. Sure, sure. Like even in our more urban, I mean, we work with CMN, we both do. I love them. They're great. And they're creating great strategies. And there's kind of this idea that, you know, if you're in a suburban urban context, you got how, which school do you partner with when you got 47 schools? Sure. Well, we got one school. And so we got to go back into that. So, yeah. and I think that's more fun. I think yeah. I go, to, I mean, I go, there, to our, yeah. I go to our city council meetings and I sit out. I don't say anything. 
I don't get up. I don't have an opinion. But you're present. Yeah. But I'm present. And uh, yet last weekend we had a big event here in, in the community and I'm sitting over in the corner and it, it has nothing to do with me. It just has to do with 20 years of presence that coming over and, hey, Randy, how you doing? Hey, Randy, how you doing? And the person next to me said, how do you know these people? I'm like, mm-hmm. 20 years of retail. Just around, yeah, exactly. Just hanging out. Don't I don't ask for stuff. I don't I don't get up and pound the table. I don't. Yeah. There's not necessarily an agenda in a sense, you know, you're not sitting there saying, Oh, I want to leverage all these relationships. You're just like, no, I'm here to have them. You know? No, just, and I think that's one of the benefits of planting in a rural context is um, my, one of my mentors, a guy named Rod Loy, uh, our lead pastor, you may have heard him. He, he just, he uses this phrase. You can own a town, right? You can own the town where everybody knows you. Yeah. And everybody knows you. And here's the question. Do they know you because you are positive voice supporting what's going on? Or do they know you because you're weird? Yeah. And that, and and I always have a handout. So that's, I would talk, that's, that's those are some of the challenges and and benefits. Yeah. And honestly, I, I love what you said. Cause, uh, cause again, you know, that's, that's the cool part is like, there's some of these things that, that either become easier or more available. Like, I think sometimes we focus on like what we quote unquote lose, you know, in a small, like some, there's that mentality of like, Oh, well, what, what's not, what do I not have access to resources, whatever it is. But it's like, yeah, but, a, but a larger church, you, a larger place, you lose access to some of these incredible opportunities, incredible relationships. And that's huge, man. Well, I want to keep trucking here. I love I love this so far. This is just great. And so we talked maybe deeper about challenges of the rural church. You kind of mentioned this idea of like a generational breakdown. Now, again, you've already kind of set the scene, said, hey, a lot of these challenges are challenges we find everywhere. But again, we're dealing with your experience, your world, the things you've walked through right. and lived in. And I know that you opened up to me a little bit about kind of watching this breakdown happen in real time, watching kind of this church situation maybe turn a little ugly. And obviously, you know, we, we don't really believe in mentioning names and, and places too much, but I do want to poke your brain a little bit and say, hey, what is this general breakdown you've experienced, the generational one? And and how have you started to try and navigate through that? What's a principle we can pull out of that, you know? Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm an old dude. I'm 48. <laughs> so uh, my first I'll just tell you a story that illustrates it, that it shows that it's always happening, but then how it's accelerated right now. Okay. It was, uh, I was in college. I was at Central Bible College, studying being Bible, a pastor. My grandparents told me, you got to pass, you got to preach as well as learn. So sophomore, junior year, I was the youth pastor at Oak Grove, the church I said to you, 120 something people. It's all chicken farmers at that point, <laughs> uh, Northwest Arkansas Hills. Tyson chicken everywhere. And uh, I was a youth pastor. I had a little Pontiac Grand Am. Now you can never do this with insurance and liability, but I would drive from Springfield down to Oak Grove. It was about an hour. And when I would hit the line, I would start picking up kids and bringing them to church. And so I'd pull up to the top of a hill, literally the hills of Arkansas, yeah. honk my horn and out of these chicken farms and generational houses, kids, middle school kids, high school kids would come run and piling in. I'd have 11, 13 kids sitting on top <laughs> in of your each other. At Grand uh, Pontiac Grand Dam. <laughs> which every, for for years <laughs> after that, every time it rained, smelled like chicken crap. So yeah, I uh, it. it's just, that it just, uh, it's the way it worked. It's but a bonus thought there. The yeah. bonus, <laughs> it's the gift that kept on giving. So sure. <laughs> but anyway, these kids, these were on generational land. Uh, some of them had, you know, their families for four and five generations that owned that property. 
these were very uneducated. Um, they were very isolated communities. Um, that year that I came, uh, satellite TV had come to this region for the first time. This is 94, 95. Sure. Like big dishes had always existed, but affordable satellite TV had, had never really existed in this community. And pretty soon on top of all those houses built in the late 1800s and early 1900s popped up this little satellite. It destroyed, it was destroying the culture uh, in that rural community. First, wow. these kids all wore Wrangler jeans that their moms and dads and aunt and uncles bought out of catalogs still in the 90s. Uh, every now and then they'd load up in the in the in the truck and they'd drive to the, to Springfield or Branson or wherever it was and they'd go shopping, but it was a rare experience and never really been exposed to stuff. But satellite TV and this was the '90s. So those of you who are old with me, you'll understand. You won't, Joe. I get it. But I mean, I was uh, born in '92. I lived it. You know, definitely. Yeah, shut, shut your hole. So <laughs> just kidding. Ni- I'm just kidding. <laughs> Beverly Hills 90210, the original version, had okay. come out. And was the number one show. And these kids were now exposed to things that they'd never really understood or seen before. Fashion for the first time. Kids wanting more, better clothing. And I remember having parent meetings as a youth pastor with parents saying, good godly people, Christian people saying, my kids are going to hell in a handbasket. They're seeing these things. What's going on? What do I do? All that to say, the same things happen with the internet today. As uh, our, our world is is bigger and smaller at the same time globalization and its impacts come to us where we're at and so right now what's happening is you have a you have grandparents who are raising their kids we see this all over in the rural context mm-hmm. and grandkids and grandparents they they disagree over huge fundamental issues and Parents and grandparents don't understand the questions happening because they've they've not had to wrestle with it. So sure. uh, I remember uh, I'm class of '93, the year you were one year old. One and um, I remember <laughs> in my small town, Bryant, Arkansas. I remember when the guy came out as gay. He was the first sure. homosexual that I actually ever knew in 11th grade. Sure. And it was chaos. Like we 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 had like an assembly to talk about how are we going to deal with this guy. His name was Eddie. Sure. Like it was it was like mind boggling. What are you going to do? How are you going to deal with this? Well, yeah. that that issue's that that issue's gone. So right. uh, you've got even in the rural context that have been traditionally rural, traditionally conservative. Now you've got gender gender issues. Uh, you've got sexuality issues you've got all these kinds of ethics and morals that 15 20 years ago pastors could joke about from the pulpit right you know the whole he didn't make it was so it was so foreign in a sense it was so so foreign it was not a deal that that was at your doorstep in a sense you know these conversations didn't have to happen you know and so you could be funny and blast knowing no one in front of you was impacted by it. So the famous joke, when God created the world, he didn't create Adam and Steve, he created Adam and Eve. And everybody laugh and clap. Well, I'm not disagreeing with the theology. If you're you're misinterpreting what I'm saying here, Uh, I still still believe the exact same thing. But what you miss is you got a whole generation of, of, of out there that they don't believe that statement was, they don't appreciate the method that was delivered. It's, it's, they don't and, appreciate and, the and method. sometimes rightly so, of course. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about it, you know. 
And then secondly, they've got questions they, and, and that families don't know how to deal with it. So that's where we're at in many of our rural settings is how do you work through these issues? What do you do? Uh, we've gone from one kid in the entire high school is homosexual to we've got a, we've got one of our rural contexts. We got a campus that we're struggling with. They've got a they've got two of the teachers who are gay. Yep. And, you know, you got parents saying, I'm not letting my kid go in this person's classroom. Well, if you're pastoring, how do you do that? So there, there's some right, of that. Right. that, that and, that, and it that does. It really it has so much tension there, you know, because you're like, I'm trying to pastor all parties involved, everybody, you know, like you're trying to pastor. Exactly. And if you're the pastor in a small town, you people will look to you to say, we want you to validate our positions. Yeah. But we can never get into the trap of validating people's positions. We can only stand on the word of God. Now, if their positions line up with the word of God, then obviously we're there. But we go after the word, not the position always. Because if you're pastoring a rural town in that sitting, what I told what we talked through with our campus pastors, he came to the realization. He also has to pastor that homosexual person in school. That person is a person Jesus died for. That is a person that we need to share the gospel with. That is a person who whose heart matters to the Lord and should matter to us. And so, what? How can we present the gospel in a compassionate, loving way to that individual at the same time, um, sharing and protecting and training our kids in the way that they should go? And so, that's a big sort of breakdown right now happening generationally. There's there's a logistical one as well that I, it'd be intriguing to hear from your listeners that we're seeing here. Uh, we used to say it. Uh, my grandfather used to. My papa used to say it this way: "Land doesn't move." Uh, he was a farmer, and he used to say, "Randy, if you get land, you hold on to it. You never sell it. Once you own it, sure. you get it because land doesn't move. They never make more land. God God has made the land as it is." And we. In our district, we've got hundreds of churches spread out all across our state. You know, we're Bible Belt, little plots of land. Didn't matter what came and go, there'd always be people in this spot. But what we're seeing is in like this post-rural kind of context where you've got people moving around. Sure, um, again, showing my age, country is becoming cool again. Uh, in the sense that you got everything from, uh, the Magnolia effect where everybody wants to be Chip and Johanna Gaines. And I don't know if it's where your is, but where you're, no, it's real. Yeah, for for sure. Everybody here wants to get married in a barn. Yeah. I don't know why they want to get married in a barn. Let's talk about the show Yellowstone, you know, one of the top rated, top rated. I've never seen it. I don't know. I'm sure it's a wonderful, horrible show. I don't know, but it's the number one show. This country, Uh, this kind of deal, this people want this at the same time, people, I mean, like barndominiums and all that kind of stuff are hot around here. People want all that. They want that country feel. They want their barn, but they want broadband as well. Right. And so what's happening is um, our rural communities are relocating. And so wild, like to think about, like that's, that's, that's terrifying to think about. You're like, what, how's this happening? So continue on. Sorry. Yeah, like we all understand boom and bust towns, no matter where you're at, sure. the road moves, those kind of things happen. But now what's happening is we're having seen communities die and they're dying, but then 18 miles away, another community is popping. And so you're, you're re, you have this migration, this relocation of people, and uh, at least in our context. And what's interesting is back in the day, yeehaw, People would drive 30 minutes to church, but now because right. of the conveniences, even in the rural context, they're they're expecting the churches to move and uh, they don't have as much affinity and time. I don't have it. You know, like I said, right. my grandfather to said, honest, land doesn't yeah. move. We don't sell. 
we had granny's old house that no one lived in. We never sold it. We held on to it. And I asked, why do we have that? And like, well, it's because it's granny's old house. We don't sell it. Why? No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's no, a real, it's we, a real question. And if you're asking that at the age of, you know, 48, then like you go down that line and like, everybody's asking that question, you know, like, what are we doing? It's just a generational thinking paradigm. <laughs> that would be different. You just, you don't let go of your land. And now our throwaway culture, our, move on, move quick, that it's, it's created some, it's created a unique setting in that our kids are moving away. And then the kids that stay have questions that would have been anathema a generation ago. Absolutely. And um, we're not talking about the differences between uh, Wrangler jeans and polo. Sure. The core, what we are talking about is issues of sexuality. We're talking about issues of church involvement, attendance, those kind of politics. I mean, just so many things, so many things. I don't know how many conversations that I've had with young adults about just keep your mouth shut at the holidays. (laughs) Yeah. And with parents saying, guys, it's just, it's not worth the fight right now. Right. And when you start getting people talking past each other, I mean, that's, you know, that's huge. And obviously again, you know, and this is something that's been repeated on this podcast a lot, but the one, one of the unique settings about rural is like, if I, you know, even when I lived in Billings, which is a hundred, you know, 50,000 area, you know, if I, whether I thought about it or not, I could subconsciously avoid a lot of people I didn't want to talk to. Sure. You know, it was just easier. It's just a lot easier. I mean, we shopped at different stores in town, whatever, but I'm like, I'm in a town of 1200. There's one grocery store and we could have a fight on Facebook about politics. And then I have to come get groceries from you. And like, that's, and you know, like, and then, you know, so I, man, right. it's a huge picture. And I think, uh, you know, I even, I think our next question was about that geographical shift and all those things. And, and I love that you highlighted it. And so now, now I kind of want to uh, switch gears because honestly, we've highlighted the challenges, right? And, and honestly, if we stopped the podcast here, I'd still, you know, cause I love this stuff. I'd still be filled with hope, but I want to maybe clue our listeners in a little bit because it is daunting, right? If I'm mm-hmm. if I'm a pastor, and especially if I'm a pastor who's above the age of 25, 35, 45, I mean, the, the farther you go up, I feel like at least the easier it is to let to to feel, you know, removed, unequipped. I mean, I left youth ministry six months ago and I already feel like a dunce. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm like, man, culture's just moving so fast and changing so fast. And I have these these moments that I think about, and I'm sitting here going, man, how do we you know, bring hope. And so, so maybe what I want to hear from you as we kind of close out, so we have these challenges, but there's definitely some tried and true hope that you presented ways of leading ways of being kind of these simple words of wisdom. And so maybe when you look at a rural church leader, what kind of encouragement can you offer on how to plant on how to lead? And, and they're wondering if it's going to work out. What, what encouragement do you offer to them? Yeah, I, I, we're all, I mean, I say we're all, I'm a pastor, so I come back to the word of the Lord. And I think, I think the foundation of everything we do has to be God's word. And I, I'm reminded of first Peter chapter two and more than first Peter chapter two, I'm reminded of the whole context of first Peter, first Peter chapter two, a whole discourse about how you live in this world and complicated scenario says, let's live such good lives among the pagans that even if they attack us, our Lord will be glorified. That's the Randy jumper translation. Yeah. And I would say to all of you listening fundamentally, Pastoring in a rural context and in this convoluted time, bottom line, live such a godly life that you stand out from the world around you. Mm. Context, First Peter. Peter writes to a group of churches all in northern Turkey, 
Um, and they're not in intense persecution yet, but what's happening is there's a whole bunch of new Christians who are living around their pagan neighbors. Read first Peter one and two. You can see it. It's all played sure, out. Yeah. And they've got questions of politics. They've got questions of religion and they've got all kinds of stuff happening. Their early Christians are being accused of all kinds of stuff that they didn't do. They're accused of all kinds of things from rebellion and subversion and all kinds of stuff. And their question is, what do we do? How do we do this? And Peter's response is, don't don't march, don't protest, don't fight. He even implies at one point, be uh, be ridiculed and don't respond. Yeah, uh, he he kind of echoes what we read in Hebrews that says, when they come and steal your stuff, don't fight, don't defend, but give. Sure. Which I got to tell you, I'm I'm still a that's good a hard boy. One. Yeah, yeah, that's a hard one. Come on, my land, my stuff, sure. you're sure. bad. But yeah. Peter and Hebrews says, when they come after you, smile and bless them and give them what they want to take. Live such godly lives. And so here's here's a, a phrase I've been using. I got a, it's not great yet. One of you guys listening will make it better, turn it into a sermon or a book. Um, and this is why I think the rural context works and why I'm excited about it. Um, it's It's been in vogue and popular in our church culture today to build concert halls and worship arenas. Um, it to build big box complexes for people to come through. Hey, our main campus, that's what we build. Yeah, but I think and it, and it does work. Like we're not it, we're not dissing this. This show is not, not a bad thing. This podcast it's, it's not about dissing needed. on people, but it's true. But let's let's highlight. Yeah, the opposite here. I think we're, what we're what people are going to be looking for is sanctuaries, and it's time mm-hmm. for us to build sanctuaries. And I'm not talking about a style of building. I'm talking about sure. a kind of place. Uh, with all the hate and all the rhetoric that's out there, sure. all the negative. Well, we can be voices of positive. I'm not talking about acceptance and denial. I'm not talking right, about right. Dis- discrediting the gospel. But you can you can live a life of shining integrity, retail pastoring. Um, a friend of mine uh, in one of our rural settings, school board was all in mess because that's what school boards do. All they do is fight. If you're, not, <laughs> awesome. if you're new to planting, if there was, some, yeah, plant. I was like, if there's something that's that's consistent to a rural town, and I'm sure school boards ever, but it's just yeah. such such a trope. Just know this: if there's only one thing you take away from this, and you're in your 20s, your 30s, and you're pastoring in a small town, and there's a crisis on your school board, and you think it's the worst thing that's ever happened, and you can't believe this happened, just know every seven to ten years, this same argument will take place, and so. Uh, that's the that's the benefit of longevity is saying okay this is the third yeah. time I've been around this merry-go-round and sure. I'm not going to get sucked into it. But this pastor friend of mine he he didn't remain neutral, and I, I say that um, he didn't remain neutral and he polarized people. And to think that that won't hurt you on Sunday, if you're going right. to make a stand in your community, it better be about Jesus and the gospel. Right. It can't be about preference. It can't be about style. It can't be even about music choice. It can't be about um, it can't be about the way what's going on. I got a friend in another part of the state. He called and said, hey, they're talking about moving the highway. They're going to build a bypass and it's going to well up. I'm like, listen, if you're if you are so amped up that you're going to use all your leadership capital to fight the highway transportation department over a bypass, you're tilting at windmills that don't you don't need to do uh, you got you got to focus on the gospel i'm not saying you're patsy i'm not saying you don't do stuff but yeah, the yeah hope yeah. is you can be a sanctuary of peace in a world of horrible rhetoric 
You can be a place of joy. You can be a place of compassion. You can be a place of grace. You can be a sanctuary of openness where everybody else is vitriolic. Now, I'll tell you, when you choose to do that, you will repel the vitriolic. Yeah, which is hard because like there's accusation that comes with that, right? If a oh, pastor, absolutely. pastor is, you know, called weak or called indecisive or called unwilling to take on real issues out of time. I mean, you could label a million things. And it is so tempting. It is so tempting to to inherit the vitriol, to to even flourish in that, you know? Live such godly lives. Mm. Live such high integrity, high morality. And I do believe this. They will run from you when that you don't caustically stomp with them over whatever issue. But when they're sick and when they're tired, when their kid is in the hospital, when they're on their deathbed, your compassion then and now will stand out more than anything. And that's why I think rural pastors, you've got a shot because you've got better access to people than someone in an urban setting. Yeah, that's huge. And honestly, uh, just to just to tag that, I love that this whole podcast, we've kind of been talking about things that are truly out of our control. You know, these these breakdowns, the rural shift of everything, you know, these these challenges. But to say, pastor, you can live a life of integrity and create space in your church that flourishes along that line, like that is something that we can control, you know, and that that leaves me with great hope. And so, Randy, I just want to say thanks one more time, man. This has been an awesome conversation. No, I appreciate it. And I, I would end this way from my side. You can do this. If God called you to this space, if he got, God called you this place, if he called you to a town of a million people, he's got a million people worth of resources. If he called you to a town of a hundred, he's got a hundred people worth of resources. Judge yourself by his call and your character and integrity, and you'll be successful. Man, I love that. Well, thank you again for tuning into these conversations. Everybody who's listening, we are just so excited to have them, just so excited to again hear uh, wisdom that has been mined from years of working, living, and caring about small places. And so a um, couple of things you can do to help us out. Um, check this out, you know, uh, in true to rural form. Uh, this is not really, th- th- I've, I've discovered through hosting this podcast, this is not something that platforms uh, quickly or easily, you know, but it's something that spreads from pastor to pastor, from person who needs it to person who needs it. And and we really hope that you take this input to heart. Um, week after week, again, it is our goal to bring you content that speaks right to the heart of what, what rural pastoring is. Uh, check us out on Spotify. Check us out on Apple Podcasts or www.ruraladvancement.com. I have been Joe Epple, your host. He's been Randy Jumper, and we will see you next week. 